Okay, so I'm going to start with a prologue uh, with uh, what something Lenin said uh, a few months after the October Revolution, and he's looking back and he's saying, "Now, how did we know that we had the support of the of enough of of the workers and soldiers, the Soviet constituency? How did we know we had enough sufficient support for um, uh, to, to make a play for power?" And he said, well, the reason we know that we had the support was that uh, the, uh, everyone, the workers and soldiers and everybody re rejected agreementism. Uh, and that was the equivalent to support. That's the de facto equivalent support, he said, uh, to uh, supporting Soviet power. So, so there it is that uh, he put it, made it, made it agreementism the central issue of, of 1917 for as far as the Bolsheviks are concerned to what they wanted to do was to uh, make refute agreementism and, and persuade the Soviet constituency uh, to reject it. And once they did that, <laughs> their work was done. So uh, now I agree, I'm gonna put on my glass so I can read my own notes here. I agree that uh, this is, is in fact the basic issue the issue that uh, divided the so the dividing the socialists um, between uh, the the <laughs> sorry the the basic issue that divided the socialists that is the parties within the Soviet camp the parties that were trying to get power within the Soviet system the basic issue dividing them was in fact the uh, was agreementism. And that the whole the basic political story of 1917 is the story of its rise and fall. It was very, it was the majority of the Soviets at the beginning of the year and uh, was a, a minority at the end of the year. If it's so basic, then the question is, why haven't you heard of it? And uh, why, why is it such a new concept? And uh, why do I feel necessary to come up with a new, uh, with this new term? I mean, it's, it's an old term, but it's a new translation, I guess. Okay. So uh, there are two issues, I think, uh, for this one is one is translation issues, which I'm going to will discuss right away. Uh, and that but the other issue, I think, is that people tend to think uh, that people tend to think that uh, there's another central issue. And I'm not going to mention what that other central issue is right now, but I'll get to that later on. You can uh, try to guess. OK, so what is uh, what is the basic difference? What, what, what is the agreementism? Uh, all about why is it the basic issue because the soviet constituency in 1917 had a basic uh, question that they had to answer how do we uh, we in the soviet camp the, the workers and the soldiers and the peasants and everybody else that was in in voting in the soviets and uh, how do we carry out the revolutionary program that we've outlined for ourselves how, how do we carry it out how do we make sure that it actually takes place that the government whatever it is uh will do it will do take necessary steps and one way is is to we do it by means of a political agreement that's where the word agreement comes from uh with elite society and i'm going to use the word elite society to mean bourgeois or census society or various other terms but i'll just say elite society here uh that's one way we we work out a political agreement with these guys and and uh we'll work out that we'll do the program together and the other way is no we have to reject that whole idea of getting an agreement because we're basic uh, conflict of interests. And it, therefore, 
it's not like like it's evil or uh, or, or immoral to have an agreement with these guys. It's just that it was not workable. It won't work. It won't solve the problems, and it won't uh, carry out the revolutionary program. So if you choose anti, uh, uh, if you choose to, the second alternative, if you're anti-agreementist, the only alternative it would seem is well is a uh, uh, is either a, a complete just let the let the bourgeois and elite society do it without any without our input, or have a have an exclusive lost power government uh, that's based entirely on the Soviets and and rejects any any real political participation. And that, of course, is the slogan: all power of the Soviets, Vlast Sovietum, exclusive, no uh, no bourgeois parties, no liberal parties, no nothing. Okay. So let's go to the translation issues as to why this issue uh, has been so uh, occulted, so hidden around. Uh, uh, okay, so the Russian word that, that I'm translating here is Saglashatlstva, <laughs> which is a mouthful. Saglashatlstva. So it's hard to pronounce, and uh, that's one reason I'm not <laughs> even trying to keep it in Russian. Uh, so that has two parts, that word, and, and one is the suffix, and that's a sort of uh istva you know that little, it's a it's a suffix meaning ism basically but it also with a tinge with a nuance of uh, of uh, disagreement that this is a uh, this is a thing we're against uh a disapproval okay so uh but the main content of the word is soglashenya uh, it's then uh, that is a perfectly ordinary russian word that means agreement you look up in the dictionary it means there's no nothing controversial or anything about it. that's just what it means if you're if you're interested in the etymology of that it comes from the same root as glasnost because glass golos is voice and so saglashenya agreement means that people are talking together i mean they're saying the same thing so uh uh, uh it's it, it's thoroughly like uncontroversial that i would uh uh, uh call this uh, uh, agreementism uh, but why why has no one done it before me uh, that I know of? And it, well, it sounds pretty odd in English. Uh, and it's and so uh, so previous translators don't want to get into this and make it sound odd and all that. They want to re make a readable book, so they've chosen two words basically to to translate it. And this includes official translations of Lenin and Stalin and other sources from the period, as well as practically all secondary sources. Uh, compromise and conciliatory or conciliation. And uh, okay, so these are related concepts maybe, but they're not the same thing. It's just not, they don't, uh, compromise does not, it, 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 it means something else. And so does conciliation. You know, like a compromise uh, is, what's the idea of a compromise? Is that I give up something, you give up something, you know, and we, we make mutual concessions. Well, Saglashenya, the agreement does not, does not imply that it implies that we have an agreement we're gonna we both agree that this is a good thing to do and we're gonna work together to carry it out so it's it's stronger than compromise and then there's another problem with compromise there's a perfectly good, good russian word for compromise compromise and uh london will sometimes and, and the bolsheviks weren't against compromise they were against agreementism but they were not against compromise so london at one point said i, I i'll offer you you other mensheviks and srs i'll i'll, I'll offer you a a compromise, a compromise. Uh, you give up agreementism, and we will not 
try for we will not try for a takeover in the near future uh, for for an arm to take over that that was in september he did this okay so uh so what if you'd follow the usual translation he says here's the compromise you give up compromise you know it's not it, it doesn't make sense so uh compromise is one thing and agreementism is another okay uh and, you know, uh, and also uh, uh, when you read translations, the ism part, the fact that this is a sort of a doctrine or a, or a, or a, 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 a tactic, a procedure uh, is, is, is being lost. There's no, there's no way of saying compromisism. Uh, one older book I read had compromise mongering. That's not bad, but it's a little clumsy. Okay, so, uh, uh, and then, and then there's a, and one more problem, which is, it, which I worried about. Is this inherently an abusive term? And so, you know, if you read a Soviet history books, they use it all the time, but they do it in a very partisan, uh, you know, abusive way. Uh, but when I started reading these people, and I've been the last couple of years, I've really sort of focused on trying to get and you know, trying to understand where they're coming from. Uh, the uh, I find that they use they that's the word they use not not agreementism but agreement they talk about what they want as as an they talk about what they want as 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 an agreement so I figured okay it, it's it it's uh, making agreement the political agreement with the elite society as the central issue is uh, is, is is not inherently partisan it's not inherently abusive so. Uh, so okay, to sum up, there there are three Russian words. Saglashatlsa means ism, uh, agreementism. There's another word, saglashatl, means agreementists. You know, a person who does this sort of thing, who agrees with it. <laughs> I mean, who supports it, I should say. And uh, and then just plain old saglashenya, meaning agreement. Okay, okay. Uh, so I think I'll be clarifying if I now say a few words about. Uh, agreementism and the party system in, in 1917, the di party system, the dynamics of the parties, and I'm talking here just about the social, socialist parties. Uh, and when I say socialist parties, I mean Soviet parties, parties in the Soviet system. Uh, the three basic ones, of course, were the Mensheviks, Bolsheviks, and the SRs. Uh, okay, so the basic political fact, as I said earlier, and we'll say again about 1917, is that at the beginning, there was a, the, you all know this, that the that uh, there was a Menshevik SR uh, majority uh, in the beginning, uh, and they defended the idea of agreementism. They defended that they, they said there is an agreement, it's workable, and uh, this is the way we'll get our program thing. Uh, and uh, even from the very beginning, the Bolsheviks were opposed to it. Uh, and by September, the, they reversed. Uh, the, <laughs> the, Bolsheviks had the, the anti-agreementists had a majority, and the agreementists uh, were were, not, were now a minority and fighting for survival. Uh, but okay, so however, it's inaccurate and will lead you to a, a, a wrong sense of the dynamics if we just say Bolsheviks were the agreementists and the Mensheviks and the SRs were the sorry, the Bolsheviks were the anti-agreementists and the and the Mensheviks and the SRs were the agreementists uh, because there were significant anti-agreementist minorities within those other two parties, uh, within the Mensheviks and within the SRs. So the left SRs, you heard of them, and the Martov people uh, in, in the Menshevik party was one uh, anti-agreementist uh, faction. Uh, okay, so that's, uh, and where the, where the Bolsheviks split? Okay, no, they, they were not split on this issue. Uh, and people will remind me, okay, in, in March, there was a small group of uh, Bolshevik agreementists, but 
they left even before Lenin showed up, or well, hours before, but before. And um, and for me, this sort of proves that there were Bolshevik consensus uh, was uh, here was this group at the beginning, but they had no future. They saw they had no future in the party, and they left right away. Uh, okay, so. Uh, so what happens to a party when it's split on what I consider the basic and many people consider the basic issue of the year? If they're split on a basic issue, they can't stay united. And what happened, there's two ways of falling apart or two ways of, of, uh, of, of happening. One was the Mensheviks, and I call this, they imploded. That is to say, they, they, they spent so much time, the two factions fighting each other that they ended up with paralysis and went from being the majority party, the ruling party almost of the of the country to nothing, to, to a, you know, a frighteningly small uh, uh, minority in, by the fall, really one of the great political collapses. And then the, uh, or you can explode like the SRs who right on the eve of October revolution broke into two parties, the left SRs and uh, well, we can call them the right SRs. They didn't call themselves that. Okay. Um, so uh, if you overlook the agreementist issue, you can really not quite see the, uh, how the dynamics of the system is working. And in particular, you can say, oh, well, the Bolsheviks had their disagreements and disputes and the Mensheviks had their disagreements and disputes and it's all more or less the same. Now, in, in, in principle different because they were split on the, the basic issue of, the, uh, of, the, of 1917 and, and the Bolsheviks were not. Uh, and uh, the way I sum this up, uh, with the small exception of the March people in March I mentioned earlier is not all agreementists, not all anti-agreementists uh, were Bolshevik, but all Bolsheviks were anti-agreementists. Okay, that means that means the other party had anti-agreementists, but they were minorities, and basically they served to make those parties dysfunctional. And the Bolsheviks, whatever other disputes they had, were not divided on this issue and that was the fundamental issue. Okay, so that's kind of an introduction to the topic and I hope we, I hope you know what I'm talking about when I say agreementism at this point. Okay, now I'm gonna go a little into the history of it. Uh, first, uh, was this something that predated 1917? Was it uh, an issue that, um, uh, that was, had been sorted out beforehand by disputes or uh, working out? And the answer is yes, but in a somewhat different form, but in a form that was, uh, very adaptable to 1917. Uh, in pre-1917, the rhetoric and the arguments went, went like this because the czar was still there. Uh, the agreementists were the liberals, the liberal party, or the cadets, but I'll just call them the liberal. And the people that they were seeking an agreement with, according to the Bolsheviks anyway, was, was the czar and the system, the czar system. Uh, so in 1917, of course, there's no czar, so uh, the agreementists are now the socialists, uh, so-called moderate or the, you know, Mensheviks and SRs, and the agreement is with the liberals. So it's it sort of the whole issue has shifted to the left because there's no czar. Uh, so some, is this a fundamental difference, fundamental change that uh, in, in the status of the issue of agreementism? Well, some people say yes, but uh, I, clearly not. So uh, why is there is a continuity? Well, first of all, uh, Tsarism uh, was around in 1917, even without the Tsar, and it was it was around in the presence of the general staff and the high the, the bureaucracy all over the world and the army and the 
uh, all this, but most importantly, it was, pre in, in, it was present in terms of the Tsarist war and the Tsarist foreign policy and the Tsarist secret treaties and the Tsarist allies. And uh, so the liberals were seeking agreement exactly with all those people. So that issue is it's still rather continuous. Secondly, even in the old days, uh, Bolsheviks were, were attaching this term to the other socialists. Uh, they were saying, you don't, are not hostile enough to the liberals, therefore you are yourself an agreementist. And then finally, it's the basic critique of agreementism is the same and, and continuous. Uh, and, and the basic critique is, listen, you want to carry out a, a revolutionary change, radical change, however you want to define it, by uh, making, making agreement with large forces in society, which is not a bad idea in itself, except that uh, you're, you're, the interests, the, the, the interests, uh, social class interests are so far apart that you, it won't work. That's the basic thing, it won't work. Uh, you'll no, won't get your change. And uh, this sort of agreementism is, uh, doesn't work in times of extreme polarization. Uh, uh, when people, are, when, the, when social forces are, are getting moving further and further apart. And, uh, and so in a situation of polarization like this, uh, uh, accelerating polarization, some people say, let's all get together. Let's uh, all the reasonable people get together and uh, we'll avoid isolation and we'll avoid civil war and we'll keep the allies and we'll, uh, we'll get things accomplished much more, much more efficiently, much more uh, without so much conflict and waste. And that's not a bad thing to want to do. It, it just does, the only trouble is it's, says the anti-agreementist critique that uh, it, it, it won't work. You are evading a choice that, that you're gonna have to make anyway. Uh, it's an either or choice coming up. You're gonna have to choose, you can't evade it. And in an attempt to evade it, you're indulging in wishful thinking. And that I think is for me, as well as the, uh, as the Bolsheviks, where I really agree with them is that the agreementists in 1917 uh that was their curse wishful thinking and uh let me uh you know uh, there's a, a phenomenon that needs to be explained is let's take the figure of kerensky who is the head of the head of the uh government as you know and uh alexander kerensky so he uh he was totally popular he was the most popular guy in russia in uh, march april may uh and then by, by, by September, a few months later, everybody hated him. Everybody wanted him out of there, but the only reason they didn't do it is because they were afraid what might come next. So what happened to this rise and fall, sudden rise, sudden fall? And the same thing with the Mensheviks. Uh, they, were like, they were like the governing party. They, were, they, were, they were, had the majority in the Soviet. I mean, they, they the SRs were, were following the Menshevik lead and, and they determined government policy, uh, basic government policy. Well, uh, I, I think in the both, uh, both the same answer explains both their rise and fall and Kerensky's rise and fall. It, it was the popularity was based on wishful thinking from both camps. The Soviet camp said Kerensky is going to guarantee that elite society is going to be on our side. And elite society looked at Kerensky and said, ah, here's a guarantee that the Soviets are gonna be on our side. Uh, you know, uh, each side was 
and the same with the Mensheviks. Each side saw them uh, as, uh, yes, we'll work together and we'll work out a program, except they had very different ideas of what that program was. So, and as soon as so both sides were, were disillusioned in the strict sense of the word, they'd lost their illusion about, about this. And so by September, both these, uh, both these people, both these forces were, uh, nobody wanted them because they, you know, the elite societies, the currency is not going to get the Soviets to cooperate. Uh, and the Soviet constituency said, currency is not going to stop people like Kornilov from trying to, you know, hang us all. So uh, the only reason that they stayed in power was inertia and a fear of, uh, you know, if I get rid of Kerensky, who's going to take his place? Okay. So wishful thinking uh, and uh, uh, that logic of 1917. Okay, I'm going now to uh, try to explain something which uh, I've only recently become aware of myself. It, I'm, I'm going to try to explain it. I hope it, I, it makes sense. Um, uh, and it, it's a little complicated, <laughs> so bear with me. And I'm going to try to talk about this situation in March 1917 uh, before Lenin showed up because the basic fault lines, the basic strategies, the basic forces were on the move at that time, and uh, and the agreementism issue was was the center of it already, and I, it's it's much more clear to realize that the, that Lenin did not change or introduce this fundamental issue, but uh, understood it and rode with it. Okay, so uh, full disclosure, I think most of you know I have. Uh, my own views on what happened in March. I'm opposed to a standard view on both the activists and the academics, as I call them, and uh, that uh, that Stalin and Kamenev and the other March Bolsheviks were 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 practically Menshevik agreementists themselves, and that the party needed severe arming. So listen, I <laughs> I uh, I know that some people are going to object to this and probably we'll hear from them later. Uh, but I, I'm just giving you full disclosure, this is controversial. Uh, and uh, I just don't want to bother giving my proof for it. I'm going to assume it and uh, talk about uh, what I what I think uh, I, uh, what, when we get rid of the false story of the of the rearming, we what 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 story do we have left? And I especially want to look at, well, uh, my main evidence, I won't go into it here, but my main evidence for this is, is a, a much overlooked uh, Soviet conference, uh, all Russian Soviet conference that took place at the end of March. And for various reasons, this has been sort of uh, not erased exactly, but uh, you know, uh, pretty much overlooked. Uh, okay, so uh, now I'm, go I'm going to try to explain to you in, in a fair amount of detail, what the agreementists themselves are saying. This is, as I said, fairly new research. I've been reading these people. And I, I, the main person that, whose name you should really keep in mind is, his name is Erakli, that's the first name, Tseratelli. It's a Georgian name. He, like Stalin, was from Georgia, and uh, where Georgia was one of the main the Soviet, uh, well, it wasn't Soviet yet, <laughs> the, not the southern U.S. state, but the one down in the Caucasus, and uh, it, it was um, 
it was a, a home bed of, of Menshevism, actually. Uh, and so Tseratelli, uh, it, it really was one of the most important people uh, of 1917. And, and he's been forgotten along with the same sorts of reasons that uh, agreementism has been forgotten. Okay, uh, so uh, he was a, he, this is based on what he said and what 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 his what the other Menshevik and SR agreementists were saying in in March. Okay, first uh, there was something the agreement. There was an agreement. Uh, that was one of the things that struck me when I read this. Uh, and what was the agreement? It was something that came up in the very first hours of the revolution. The February Revolution, before the Tsar abdicated, it was an agreement between the Soviet, the newly formed Soviet, which had only been formed hours before, uh, beforehand, and the newly formed Provisional Government. And the agreement—I'm going to give out the, what 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 the agreement is—but it was uh, this: the, the the Provisional Government came to be because of this agreement. Because they needed the they needed the Soviet to to uh, to, to endorse them. Okay, here is what the agreement was, and uh, as as told by the agreementists themselves. Uh, first of all, the, the the provisional government is a representative of the elite society, but we can work with them. That's the basic. That's the basic uh, uh, proposition. Uh, the provisional government is the vlast it is the vlast meaning the sovereign power the government the you know it's, it's no, uh the, we we don't deny you are the the vlast uh and so they say they're, they're denying that there was essentially a double power or dual power or double vlast or anything they deny that they said no no not us you you are the vlast but you the government agree to carry out revolutionary reforms, protect against the counter-revolution, which is defined as um, uh, monarchist forces, and uh, to strive to get a, uh, a, a, a swift and democratic peace into the war uh, by revising war aims and so forth. Uh, okay, so that's what you agree to, to carry out that revolutionary program. And we, the Soviet forces, agree to give you uh, our approval and endorse you and we'll work with you on defense efforts you know and we will not threaten you with uh, going overthrowing you or anything like that uh we, we, we'll work together to achieve this revolutionary program uh and the idea was that there again it's not a compromise because the idea was that uh there were enough people in elite society who were progressive enough the vital forces, the progressive bourgeoisie, other terms people used, uh, that saw the necessity of these radical revolutionary changes uh, and, the, and the need for peace. Uh, and so they were definitely uh, 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 committed to this agreement, the agreement, almost the constitution, almost, almost, <laughs> uh, of, of, of achieving revolutionary reforms. Okay. Now, the complication and what needs to be is that there was something else going on. And this is something I've been reading, I saw when I was reading the material, especially of the Soviet conference, that there was something I call the unwritten constitution. This is more basic than the agreement. This is more basic about uh, uh, 
what the agreementist leaders themselves were telling the Soviet constituency about um, about how revolutionary Russia worked. And uh, and uh, Zaratelli, I think, was this is where his importance comes in because he he really came up with this and, and pushed it. And so at the same time as they're telling the provisional government, don't worry, you are, you are the last, you know, you are the you are the sovereign power. We're not going to interfere. They were also telling the Soviet constituency in the Soviet system, you are the de facto last. You really have the power. You are the power in the land. And uh, so you can get your revolutionary program through. Uh, I don't know why they. Well, anyway, that's what they were telling him. They said it many times. You are the you, you ultimately you, the workers and the soldiers uh, are, are, are in control and uh, you don't have to insist on it, but it, your program is going to go through. Uh, and so they why? Why were they? Why was it? First of all, you, the workers and the soldiers are the carried out the revolution. And there's a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of truth to that. The, uh, the the revolution became a revolution with the soldiers' revolt, and the and the and the workers were uh, uh, sort of leading the leading the whole forces. So the, the, the workers and the soldiers did carry out the revolution. Well, uh, and secondly, you put the provisional government into existence. Uh, you, with your agreement, with your seal of approval, you put the provisional government into existence. So you, it's a sort of a constitutional you know, ultimate right. Uh, you have the right to impose your program on this, uh, on, on, on the government. You have the right to set the program. You have the right actually to say who gets to be minister and who gets not to be a minister. We have, let, we have let these cadet liberal party people be the ministers, but it's our choice, our choice for our reasons. Uh, and Kerensky was uh, was a Soviet leader, was a leader of the Soviet, was a was a vaguely SR person. So he um, uh, and he was in the government. So uh, you, you, we have the right to say the program and the personnel of the agreement, which is like you know pretty pretty sovereign. Uh, and then you you the Soviet constituency have the right to expect to see results. You have the right to expect to see results. And if you don't, this is the crucial application. If you don't, if you don't see these results, you have a right to install your own another government that will do it better. Uh, and and so so they're sort of endorsing the fact that you can replace or overthrow a government if it doesn't revolutionary enough, if it doesn't carry out the program. And they made this very explicit. That, that's a little shock to me, but it's very true. So uh, and so there was a formula. I, I, I'll explain the logic of this. There's a formula that you're, anyone who reads about the revolution knows about. It, it, it goes postolko postolko, that's the Russian. And it, it's translated mainly, well, correctly enough, as insofar as. So, uh, uh, and that formula said, we support the provisional government insofar as it carries out reforms. Well, and uh very soon that became associated with the agreementists very in any history book you'll you'll see that formula as the classic formula for agreementism but that's that that doesn't really ex that doesn't explain the logic of it uh it, it doesn't it's actually a very subversive formula in so that we will support you insofar as you uh carry out reforms 
uh, and that's why the ministers, the czar, the ministers of the provisional government, not czar, sorry, the provision, the minister of the provisional government hated it. So there was some memoir or other where, it's, where it's, uh, a delegation starts from the uh, army detachment starts reading out, and we support the government insofar as, and the minister who was there just got up and walked out because, you know. What do you mean you have the you're going to support us only insofar as we do this or that? We're the government. We're 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 the lost, and you you know you may disagree with us, but you support us as anyway. So uh, so the but this is the uh, actually the unwritten constitution is uh, we will support you insofar as so why the agreement has said that, but they didn't mean it. The Bolsheviks maybe you could say the Bolsheviks or the anti-agreementists were the only ones who took it seriously. They said okay. Uh, once we prove, once we showed you, once we convince you that the provisional government is not revolutionary, well, then we're, we're, we'll replace it. We, we won't support it anymore. We'll, and, and support in this, mean, in this context means replace. You know, I mean, not, to not support means to replace, to, to overthrow. Uh, and whereas with the agreementists like Zaratelli, they were not being fully sincere with themselves uh, and at the end of the year, uh, people realized that uh, people realized that even though the provisional government was was getting more and more feeble and more and more uh, looking more and more counter-revolutionary, even to uh, to many people, perhaps not fairly, uh, uh, they were not ready to support it. They would they they said insofar as, but they didn't mean it because. Uh, they really, really did not want to break with elite society and, 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 and become isolated. Okay, so what did the Bolsheviks say? The Bolsheviks, and again, I sort of stress uh, that this, was always, this, was, this is based on what the Bolsheviks were saying in March uh, before Lenin came, uh, except no substitutes. If you hear different, you, you, you know, it's incorrect. Okay, first of all, they accepted the unwritten constitution uh that's that's you know why not they they uh, they accepted what the what the Zaratelli and those other people were saying you know i'm going to quickly read them you are the de, you are the de facto of loss you carried out the revolution you the workers and soldiers put it into existence you have the right to impose your program you have the right to expect results and you have the right to replace it if they don't if you don't see the results well what's what's not to like you know so uh uh but then they said okay they they said, yes, uh, we agree with the unwritten constitution, but we disagree with the, agree, with the agreement, with the strategy that, that you're using to, to impose your will. It's just not viable. It's just not going to work. And uh, throughout the year, this is what happened, that the uh, Bolsheviks uh, and the anti-agreements minorities and the other parties stressed that, uh, that the agreement was failing to work. And by the, t by, by the end of the year, it was like a joke you know, like uh, th that you could ever expect to accomplish things through coalition or through any kind of agreement. Uh, uh, so, and and it and and the, the critique got, I think, as you as you watch it, became more and more profound during the year. In the beginning, it was you won't get the revolutionary program, the old revolutionary program of land of the peasants and democratic republic. You won't be able to carry out that revolutionary program with. Uh, <clears throat> With a with a with with elite society because they're thoroughly uh, committed to the war, they're thoroughly committed to the allies, the th Anglo-French capital, as as it was always called, and uh, uh, they just won't do it. They can't do it. They can't do it. Uh, 
uh, and will not then the more profound critique the agreement will not be able to solve the war induced crisis you know russia was accelerating into a crisis of economic and social and in every other way uh, all during 17. Uh, and then uh, finally he got to say you know uh, it, the agreement won't even it is not even providing basically effective government basically effective services nothing it's just, it's collapsing it's paralysis paralyzed it's not it's not basic defense is not being taken care of so uh so in March, the, the Bolsheviks were saying, listen, we can't overthrow the Soviet right now. The Soviets, there's a Soviet majority for it. So that's fine. We, we, we agree we can't overthrow it. But we, but we think it's thoroughly counter-revolutionary, the provisional government. We think it will quickly show its uh, real class nature. We'll, we think it will become quickly become evident to everybody that that they can't carry out the class program they can't carry out the revolutionary program and when that when we get that majority in the soviets then we'll overthrow it and that, that, you know that's more or less what happened so they the, the bolsheviks even from the from the get-go were saying life is working for us the revolutionary forces the, the logic of the deepening revolution is for us okay uh i'm getting a little late here so i'm gonna <laughs> um Okay, so uh, what do I say here? However, I'm going to sort of speed it up here. Uh, okay, so is there another basic issue? Is there another issue that's that's more basic or or, or equally basic, a dividing line? Okay. Uh, uh, well, uh, let me mention one uh, that uh, that was used in 1917. Before I get to the main one, that I want to talk about. And that's defenses versus internationalists. Okay, so defenses versus internationalists was the way they talked about it then in many ways. So I, I, since I like to go with the people's own vocabulary, I, I approve of it, but there are various reasons why that's uh, um, one-sided. Uh, it focuses only on the war issue. Uh, the, uh, in some ways, the Bolsheviks were defenses. In some ways, the Mensheviks were internationalists. So, uh, so but in, re in real life, the defensists uh, were agreementists and the internationalists were anti-agreementists. So that's that's just a matter of vocabulary, really. I think my I think the the agreementist was more basic then, and I think we should think of it as basic. Okay, the other the other candidate for the basic issue is you, perhaps you've been thinking about this is 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 this a bourgeois democratic revolution or is this a socialist revolution? And uh, there's uh, that theory. That that's the basic issue goes back, way back. Uh, the Mensheviks uh, and the SRs and <laughs> many bourgeois uh, liberal type spokesmen said that in 1917 uh, as a way of saying uh, it's a bourgeois democratic revolution. Therefore, you can't even think of Soviet power. And for unfortunate reasons, Trotsky picked this up. He did, he, in 1970, he said something very different, but he picked it up later in 1924. The Stalinists picked it up for their reasons. The academics picked it up for their reasons. So uh, there's sort of a consensus that the real issue was socialist revolution. And that fits in with Lenin comes back. He says uh, a new thought that uh, going to be social, this is a socialist revolution going on, and therefore we have Soviet power. Well, there's two problems with that, uh, that framework. By, by making that the central issue. Number one, it's not logical. That is to say, uh, the basic proposition is 
of, of that way of thinking is that unless you say it's a socialist revolution, there's no excuse, there's no rationale for Soviet power, for uh, Sovietsky of lost. That's just not true. <laughs> and both Lenin and Trotsky went out of their way to make that exact point in 1917. Um, uh, there's lots of reasons why you need Soviet power, even if it's a bourgeois democratic revolution. You, you want to carry out the revolution. In fact, the, Bol the Bolsheviks have been saying that for a long time. Uh, if you, uh, yes, it's a bourgeois democratic revolution, but you, uh, you, you need the workers and the peasants to carry it through to the end. And Karl Kautsky had, uh, back in the day, had said the same thing. So this is not a particularly new or even un-Marxist view, unless you want to call Kautsky un-Marxist. Uh, okay, so that's one part. It's not logical. The other one is that that just wasn't the issue that people argued about. Uh, I, uh, I've tried to show this elsewhere, but it's just, it, it's just uh, if you look at the writings of the Bolsheviks and their speeches and their papers and everything, they just did not make this part of their central part of their message. There was a world socialist revolution going on and Russia was part of it, but there was, they did not claim that there was a, a socialist revolution in Russia. They may have thought it. I, I, I can't read their thoughts, but they didn't say it. And they had good reasons not to say it. Okay, uh, so so the, if we look at the Bolshevik message, the Bolshevik message was throughout the year, agreementism doesn't work. You have to reject it. You have to have Soviet power. Okay, so... Uh, Okay, so I'm going to <laughs> after talking for about 45 minutes here, I'm now getting into the rise and fall of agreementism. And it's in three chapters. Chapter one is, uh, is like, uh, I, I've explained March. You know, I, in March, uh, they, they, uh, the agreementists are in, uh, have a strong majority. And why not? You know, why not? If you, could, if you can get the reforms that you want, the, the radical changes that you want, in agreement with a lead society, why, why not do it? It's, it's a good idea. Uh, you, you get, it's just much less messy, much more efficient, much less waste and, and tragedy. Uh, we don't open the front to the Germans, you know, so it, it makes sense. The only thing is that it's not gonna work, that's all. So, so, so chapter one is sort of uh, uh, the, from, from say March or uh, to, to, uh, to, to the end of August. Chapter one is uh, a succession of crises. There's a, there was, there's a phrase that was always being used, crisis vlasti, the crisis of the vlast, or, uh, or uh, the crisis of, of government, political crises. And there's one after the other. There's one in, famous one in April, one in June, with the, there's one in July, there's one in August. For some reason, May 1917 does not seem to have its own uh, particular crisis, but there was all going on all the time. And each time, uh, uh, sort of the uh, the agreementist uh, would look like it wasn't working, and there was a shuffle, and they sort of dug down deeper with more agreementism, uh, but the anti-agreementist sentiment in the Soviet constituency grew. Okay, that's chapter one: progressive disillusionment by the Soviet constituency by agreementism. Chapter two is what I call uh, zombie agreementism. <laughs> and uh, uh, this comes after Kornilov, the Kornilov attempted coup d'etat. And the immediate consequence of that is that the Bolsheviks get de facto majorities in uh, the capital city Soviets, Petrograd, Moscow. 
And so why do I call it zombie agreementism? Because there's no more agreement anymore. This is not, uh, neither side is interested in the agreement anymore. So the agreementists, uh, leaders, and here Teratelli is very prominent among them at this point, uh, are sort of uh, trying to, are, protect, are protecting, uh, uh, trying to prove the viability of agreement that neither party is really interested in. That's why I call it zombie. It's sort of, it's sort of, uh, uh, it's, it's working on inertia, and I won't go into details. It's kind of a fascinating thing, but basically, it's they. It, it's it's just a matter of time before uh, the Soviet constituency votes in a new leadership. It's only a matter of time before the provisional government uh, tries to do something about the Soviets. Okay, uh, as you would know, what happens if they just sort of uh, are knocked over? I think I extend that chapter to the Constituent Assembly. Constituent Assembly is sort of an attempt last ditch attempt of agreementism because uh, you, the idea of the constituent assembly is here is a legitimate institution. Everybody agrees with it. Everybody can follow it because it's been elected by everybody. Uh, we it will have legitimacy, but the trouble is that the Bolsheviks walked out uh, even before they shut it down, they walked out. And that was the important thing. And, and the elite society was not interested in the constituent assembly either. So, uh, it, it didn't exist. So chapter three is after October uh, in the Civil War. And here, uh, uh, I think we you know, explain what was going on with the, with the Ametrix and the SR during the Civil War. And uh, I, uh, there are two, two ways that agreementism, it was total failure. And there are two ways politically two ways it happened. One's the Menshevik way, which is sort of paralysis. You didn't want to, you didn't want to help the Bolsheviks because they, they were, you know, demagogues and barbarians and, uh, you know, uh, brutal and, but you didn't want to, you're not going to join up with the counter-revolution to put down the Bolsheviks, but the counter-revolutionaries are the only force that have a chance of un overthrowing the Bolsheviks. So neither choice is palatable. You can be very eloquent and uh, insightful about how bad each choice is, <laughs> but you yourself are paralyzed because what are you gonna do? And the other uh, way is the SR way, the right SRs. And they went out and tried to form a government out in the Volga region uh, in 1919, 18. And it will also completely fail again for the same reasons. Uh, the workers weren't interested in it. They they tried to say here the workers, uh, work, workers, peasants, and and middle class were all going to work together in this uh, in this. It was based in Samara, and it just fell apart and was overthrown essentially by uh, by by a military dictatorship headed by Admiral Kolchak. So, and, and the basic reason is if you're going to overthrow the Bolsheviks, you have to work with the army, and the army is not going to. Why should the army bother with you? You're not bringing anything into the uh, you, the agreementists. So, uh, so agreementism then, uh, uh, there's good reasons for why it was so popular at the beginning of the year, good reasons why it collapsed, and, uh, and uh, sort of what happened finally is that it became irrelevant, and the real issue was uh, either the revolution or the counter-revolution. Those were the two forces that were battling it out and the fate of Russia depended on who won that war, and the agreementists just had to sit on the side. And that uh, concludes my talk. Uh, thank you.